writing well is the pursuit of a lifetime. You may be at mile marker one of this wonderful life journey and thinking for the first time about embracing the life of a writer. Or maybe you're further along and ready to publish some of your ideas. I'm Melissa Parks with Dave Getz, and we are fellow travelers on this extended road trip to improve our writing and publish our ideas. We hope this podcast helps you make progress on your writing journey. Now, let's buckle up and write. If you are planning on self-publishing or publishing with a hybrid publisher, you'll likely be selling your book on Amazon. But how do you help people who have never heard of your book find your book and then buy it? That's where Amazon ads come in. In today's podcast, we are thrilled to have the author of Self-Publishing with Amazon Ads, Brian Cohen. Brian is an ad guy, author, and blurb CEO. He knows what it takes to promote a book, having published over 40 books, which have been downloaded over a half a million times. He's the creator of the five-day Amazon Ad Profit Challenge, a free quarterly community course for authors that has helped over 25,000 authors. I would encourage you to sign up for the next quarterly session. Today, Brian is going to help us understand the ins and outs of creating successful Amazon ad campaigns so you can sell more copies of your book. Welcome, Brian, to our podcast. We are so thrilled to have you and have you share everything you know with your experience, self-publishing books and helping other authors with the self-publishing and promotion of their books. This is going to be such a rich conversation. So I see that you are an author of over 40 books, including how to write sizzling synopsis and fiction blurbs and also self-publishing with Amazon ads. Can you tell us how many of those were self-published and how many you've published with a traditional publisher? And do you have a favorite among the 40? Oh, good questions. Well, thank you guys for having me. I All, all those books are self-published. I've never been with a traditional publisher. I, I respect traditional publishing. I just, I'm a control freak. I would rather control every aspect of the process, which doesn't mean I do it all on my own. It, I definitely, even though uh, I'm self-published, I'm definitely, I, I definitely hire out for certain things. I definitely have people I work with. So self-publishing is almost like really more having your own in-house publishing company that you happen to be the only employee of. I I mean, I try to have the philosophy that every every new book I write is my is my best book and my favorite book, but I will say that I my first novel, uh, The Dark Souls, is definitely one of my favorites on the fiction side and then my favorite nonfiction book is self-publishing with Amazon ads, which is a mostly nonfiction, but also mixes in a little bit of story in, in the style of like the E-Myth Revisited and books like that, where you are actually seeing me work with a student, work with an author and helping them to run their first Amazon ads because 
I found a lot of existing stuff was ignoring the emotional side of all this. And that is a big component that we have to emotionally cope with all of the efforts that we're putting into our publishing. I love that takeaway. It's such a rich nugget just starting off this podcast about when you're delivering a nonfiction informational book, how can you engage with the the reader on an emotional level? So you've used story to that through fictionalized characters, is that correct? Yes, yes. Have you used that strategy in other books or was this your first time using it? And what surprised you about using this fictionalized character? That was the first one I had used it in since that time. I've done another one, self-publishing and email marketing. And so both of those follow the same format. And even though the characters are fictionalized, there's a lot of experience with some people that that make up those characters. I I mean, I, I don't know if I'm necessarily surprised. I knew that some people would would really resonate with it. The the feedback I've gotten has been I I really appreciated seeing seeing this character. I saw myself in this character, which was was what I was going for. So I was very glad that that my ideas had been correct <laughs> when it comes to how I was planning. I think if, if there's anything that surprises me, I think it's just that you know, it, it it's always fun to see what different reactions people have, what what people think that you maybe didn't, you didn't see going in. So there's like little lines here and there people have had reactions to. But for the most part, I was trying to engage people and I'm really glad that it has. Before we get into our topic, which is self-publishing with Amazon ads, I'd love to know when you write and Maybe, do you have any writing rituals? So I will usually sit down on my phone for 15 minutes and outline a chapter. Interestingly enough, I've gotten ahead on outlining. And so sometimes I'm not even outlining the chapter I'm about to write. And and this is just so that I keep the ball moving. And then after that, I I will usually I will usually set up my space, which... It has morphed a bit because I'm kind of in between writing desks. I have a couple of spaces I like to write on top of the dryer is one. And another is a, a riser desk topper that will actually go at different heights, but is not one of those push button things. And I have a Neo 2. It's one of those old alpha smart devices that they used to give out in middle schools and they work really well for for drafting and so i definitely i definitely have used that for writing a lot of my books and that is is kind of my main one that i use for my my writing ritual i have done also if i get stuck i will do some dictation and usually i will just record it to my phone and then send it to a transcription service like rev.com. And it costs a little bit of money, but I've been too lazy to train up my dragon dictate for, for dictation. So those are kind of my rituals. And, and I do better when it's consecutive days every single weekday. I run into trouble if I, if I skip a day or two. And so those are, those are kind of my to-dos for writing the writing the books. 
Tell me about riding on top of the dryer. That is so unusual. <laughs> it's the right height. It, it, it's really all about heights with me. As y'all noted off the call, I have carpal tunnel syndrome. And so having my arms at the right height is is very important to not straining my wrists. And so uh, I actually just got a new desk that that has the keyboard tray, the second level, and then the monitor level so that my eyes are looking at you, but my hands are down at the perfect height. Oh. And so it, it, it can, t- and I've, like you've said, I've, I've put out 40 books and, and many of those books were written at with poor ergonomics. And so I definitely think that it may take a couple of desks or it may take a couple of contraptions to, to have your space set up in an ergonomic way. So let's dig into Amazon ads. And as I mentioned, a lot of our community will be self-publishing their book and posting their books to Amazon, selling it themselves. And so can you explain just in brief or as as with much explanation as you think we need what an Amazon ad is? Just go to the most basic definition. (laughs) Absolutely. So if you've ever been on Amazon, when you're searching around for a book, there are certain spots on search or on each individual books page, which I like to refer to as a book sales page. There is a spot usually or multiple spots where you'll see the tag sponsored. And in that spot will be other book covers, possibly with a certain ad copy written underneath some words that go with, with those covers. And these are ads. And the people who put the ads in those places are other authors like you and and publishers. And these placements can allow you or, or other books to be discovered. And so an Amazon ad is when you are manually saying, hey, Amazon, put me in one of those spaces. And if somebody clicks on your book cover or your ad in one of those places, you get charged a certain amount and there are settings and whatnot to control what that amount is. But when they click over, you now have someone that is on your books page, on your book sales page. And so it's getting people from off of other places on Amazon to see your book. Now, at any given moment, there are millions of placements through depending on how many people are looking at Amazon on that particular day. So if you can get it to the point that your book is showing up enough for people to click on it and for people to visit your page, you can start getting more traffic, more potential readers to get to your page. And unfortunately, just publishing a book isn't necessarily enough to get people to see it. But fortunately, these ads are one of the most cost-effective ways to get people from the Amazon ecosystem somewhere to come over to to see what your book is all about. When you create an ad, does it affect possible placement underneath? Say you click on a book and beneath it, it says, you may be interested in this book, this book, this book, and this book. Mm-hmm. When you create an ad, does that influence Amazon and them putting books in that area beneath the book that you've looked at? Or is it simply that top sponsorship banner? It used to be that there was a 
You also, people who buy this also buy this. And it was yes. very reader based. They've really, they've really suppressed that. And so sometimes that won't be on the page at all. Sometimes it'll be at the very, very bottom after all sorts of other stuff. So most of the so-called recommendations you see are either ads or it's based on your browsing history. Very rarely are you even seeing when, let's say, somebody buys your book, Melissa, and they Mm -hmm. see that people buy Dave's book underneath it when they buy them in, in at the same time or in the same, uh, around the same time. But now that's not showing up so much anymore. And so mm. you kind of have to rely, as we've mm. referred to it, you, you have to pay to play a little bit if you want your book to show up in that space. You don't have to make it show up in that space. But if you want a certain number of people to buy your book, then it makes sense to send some sort of traffic over there. I'm assuming that where you place the book, frequency, there's all these factors that affect how much you get charged per click, right? That's how you get charged is per click. You set a certain amount. I'm going to spend $100 during the month of February. And... And when that mount is used up, your ad doesn't appear anymore. Is that the same there as it is with Google? It, it, it has a lot of similarities to the other ad platforms, Google and, and Facebook. One of the nice things about Amazon ads is when you are setting them, you can set a low enough bid and the bid is what you get charged when the click happens. You can set a low enough bid that Amazon will not spend your entire budget. And in a lot of cases, it will spend a lot less. One of the things people have found is that if you run ads on Facebook, if you run ads on Google, oh, they're going to spend all your money. You say you want $10, $20, $100, $1,000, boom, they're happy to deliver that. If you run Amazon ads and you set a low enough bid, which is what we recommend, If you set a low enough bid, Amazon will not actually spend all that money. Now, we do have people complain and say, oh, well, I want it to spend the $5. Why is it only spending a dollar? Well, which would you rather? It spend uh, the the $1 or you accidentally put in something like a $500 budget and it gets rid of it in a day. It's a lot more forgiving on Amazon ads if you bid low enough. And that is one of the reasons why we really like it because it's it's somewhat more mistake-proof. A mistake on Facebook will cost you a lot of money. Yeah. A mistake with the ads. A mistake on Amazon, if you follow some of the things that we suggest, may only spend a buck or two. And that's okay especially when you're just trying to learn the platform. So what's the thinking behind their making the algorithm do that differently from, say, Google? Is it that they are really optimizing that ad and so there really isn't any other good places for that ad to to be presented? Well, I think that it bears some similarity to Google that Facebook does not have. Facebook will only let you target certain interests or certain combinations. 
of demographics. Google will do that, but you can also target keywords. You can target whatever word that people might be searching on Google. And you can target things that not that many people are searching for, in which case you might not actually spend some of that money. And on Amazon, there are a lot of things like that. There are a lot of things that people are not searching in great quantity. For instance, for my self-publishing with Amazon ads book, if I literally just put in self-publishing with Amazon ads, I want you to go find that. And whenever people search for it, I want you to target them. I don't necessarily get a lot of impressions, which are when people see an ad or clicks on it, because there just aren't that many people searching that specifically. And so one of the reasons is because there's just a whole lot of terms like that. You, you, you can target a general group kind of more like Facebook does, but in a lot of cases, going too broad with your targeting, like... I'm writing a young adult fantasy series. Well, I'm not going to target all fantasy because there's epic fantasy, there's gas lamp fantasy, there's all sorts of different lit RPG fantasy. You don't want to target those when you target your young adults. So it's almost better to, to rein it in. Now, if you ask me why the Amazon algorithm works the way it does, I do not truly know but the thing I do know, Amazon runs on relevancy, aka similarity. If you are targeting books that are similar to yours, and then people go and buy it, Amazon's algorithm gets happy. It likes it. You are more likely to get more impressions and more clicks going forward. And so targeting very specific relevant things to you is good for that stoking the algorithm. But if you target anything and everything, not only is it going to not help you in the present because people will say, oh, well, I was looking for this book. So it's weird that I am seeing your book, which looks nothing like it. They don't buy it. So in the moment it hurts, but also because it, it accumulates, if you're relevant, 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 Amazon likes you. If you're irrelevant, 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 Amazon is going to probably make sure that your ads don't run as much because Amazon wants to give a good customer experience. And so if you are not really targeting the right stuff, that can come back to bite you. Can you then give us some best practices, maybe using your book as an example of how not to go too general or how not to go too specific? Like what keywords would, would you use to target the right audience? I think it's important to keep in mind that we don't always know what we've written. We do not always know what is this genre? What are some of the tropes inside of it? Trope being the, the uh, different elements of fiction that are in common in a genre. Like, oh, there's always a grizzled 50-year-old male protagonist. That would be a trope that's in all sorts of sci-fi military books. And so you need to kind of have a feel of what your book is. You need to kind of have a feel of what other books like yours are out there. So that's first and foremost. I know with my nonfiction book, I'm going to target other books 
for authors. So I'm going to look up other book titles for authors, whether or not they're related to ads. I want to target them. But I'm also definitely going to look at let's target incredibly intricately into other books for authors that are about ads, because I kind of want to borrow some of those people off those pages to come to mind. Now, if it was I was advertising a cozy mystery book, I would look at other cozy mystery titles, but I want to get even more narrowed down than I might with the nonfiction because there are quilting cozy mysteries, paranormal cozy mysteries with witches. There's our historical cozy mysteries. I need to know my own book, what it is. I need to know the other books that are in my genre, which might mean looking at books uh, and reading their reviews and their book descriptions, and even reading some of those books to see what they're really made up. And, and you might be saying, well, I don't have time for that. Well, my co-host of my podcast, The Sell More Book Show, Claire Taylor, once said, well, if you don't have time to read, you don't have time to write, because reading is a part of that process. But it comes down to knowing that because then you know, I'm going to target these certain words. I'm going to target these certain book titles. I might target these certain author names. Any of those things are things you can target with ads. And so by knowing it better, knowing your genre top to bottom, you are more able to run ads to the right kind of books. So you've done nonfiction, you've done fiction. Where have you had more success? That's a big, general, unanswerable question. But would you say, I I do a little bit better in fiction, I do a little bit better in nonfiction, or it's a little bit easier to do it in fiction because of X, Y, Z, or nonfiction, it's harder because of this, that, and the other thing? I've done better in nonfiction personally. I have more titles in nonfiction. I've had more, more titles break out in nonfiction than fiction. I am primarily a nonfiction writer, I would say. But let's talk about the ads in general. Do ads work better for fiction or nonfiction? And that is a really interesting question because when you have a long series in fiction, I know some of your folks are writing their first book. Let's say you decide to make it a whole thing. You decide that you're going to write book one, book two, book three, et cetera. Well, it gets really interesting when you have a book that is part of a series, because yes, you might spend a couple bucks to get someone to buy your book at $4, you get about $3 and you say, great, I spent $2, I made $3, I came out on top. That's a good thing. But some of those people will then go on and buy book two. Maybe you make a little bit more money. Maybe they'll go on to buy book three. Maybe you make a little bit more money. There are authors who know, they've looked at the data, they know their own numbers. They know if one person, well, they they know if one person buys book one, they have such great read through to the other books. They have such a long series. They have so much great stuff working with them. They know they will make 10, 20, $30 from that one sale. Because they know it'll average out. Some people read all the way. Some people won't. But those authors who are able to see that information and then they say, oh, well, then I'll spend more money because they know they can make more money. 
And so in a way, it is the rich get richer because they have those long, extensive backlists of books already. But everyone can work their way up to that. I know plenty of people who started publishing in 2021, 2022, who have found success from new books. And I'm certain here, uh, we're recording this early in 2023, that we will hear of our first 2023 first book success stories coming in soon. Nonfiction is really interesting, though. Nonfiction authors tend to have fewer titles. So you're not seeing people go and buy a book two, a book three. But nonfiction authors can have courses, services, coaching. I even read about someone who said, all right, I have my one nonfiction book. I ran ads to it. And someone who saw my book just bought a $5,000 speaking package to have me speak in an event. So that person maybe spent 20 bucks on the ads. Maybe they even lost money on the book sales, but they made that five grand from getting a speaking gig. And not all cases are going to be like that, but fiction it's about getting the people to buy more books. Nonfiction, sure, you want to get them to buy more books, but in the service of getting higher price things sold on the back end. That's so important to know that as an author. Oh my gosh. I mean, what you're what you're talking about now is not just a singular ad for this book, but a larger publishing strategy. What's your vision in the future? If you're going to do a fiction book, maybe you ought to consider a series, maybe a three to five book series. I have a 14-year-old and she read a five book series during during Christmas break, right? So she got the one and then she did exactly what you did. I don't know if she did it through an ad, probably, maybe or maybe not. But so it's very interesting. It's, it's like this larger play. And I think with nonfiction, you're right. It's not about that actual book sale. And that's where a lot of our young or new nonfiction writers struggle. They think somehow that first book is going to sell 10 million and they don't realize it's not necessarily about that book, but you know, they're part of a consulting firm. It's going to build revenue on the backside. And thank you for saying that because I think it's so strategic what you're saying. Sure, you're welcome. I, I love it. And I've certainly gotten folks to buy my my courses and services and coaching from books and and I think that all nonfiction authors should consider what else can I offer? Can you talk about that pathway from the book to services? Is that sure. why it's important to have a robust bio? How, how does that work? It's all about the email list. It really is about getting those folks to your email list so that you can connect with them again in the future. And so what a lot of people will do is they'll have some kind of offer in the book, free cheat sheet, uh, free case studies, free something or other that you can download in return for the email address. You're technically not supposed to say it's in return for, for the thing, but it, it is what it is. But But they can get that free thing when they join your list. And then when they're off of Amazon and on your list, the sky's the limit. You can promote whatever it is you want. Obviously, you want to build up that relationship, but that is the pathway. That is one of the, the, the biggest things you can do. I had a book, permanently free book, which means you set it free somewhere else, and then Amazon matches the price, and you have a free book, even though Amazon won't 
technically let you set a book for free. That's kind of how people do it. And so you have this free book. And I had this free one that was downloaded hundreds of thousands of times. And I didn't know it was going to take off. I was like wowed by it. It was actually funneling people into a course I did for you to me way back in the day. And the thing I look back on that I always regret is that in that book that was downloaded hundreds of thousands of times, I did not have an email list set up. Who knows? Maybe not that many people would have signed up. Maybe it would have been 5,000. And if I had had it set up from the beginning, if I had had automatic emails ready to go to those people when they signed up, who knows what would have happened? I'm very happy with how things have turned out. But that pathway for nonfiction authors is very important. For fiction authors, it's very important as well. You want a reason for people to come over and see you off of Amazon because you can't control it. Someone could buy your book once and never get anything of yours again. But if you get them on your email list, there's a chance you might be able to get them to buy everything you release. Was that a Kindle book? And so the idea would be putting links inside the book to drive them back to the site and then create the lead magnet on your site? Yes, but... In a paperback book, a hardcover book, wherever, some of the things that people are doing now is they're putting in a QR code. And that QR code is linking to what the same link you would have linked to from your ebook. I have a question about how you use social media in the context of this author relationship with prospective readers and also readers who you've already engaged with. How does social media and that platform fit into this? bigger kind of system? First and foremost, I'm going to say not everybody needs to use social media. I, I really recommend stuff by Becca Syme of the QuitCast. She often talks about your strengths, referring to the 34 Clifton, Clifton strengths. And if you are not hardwired to like posting on social media and sharing things there, it is going to be a struggle. It doesn't mean you shouldn't do it, but I also do think you should do things that you like and that that you're more encouraged to do over and over again. But I will say, I like social media. I'm I'm an extroverted person. I enjoy sharing videos on platforms like Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube Shorts. And so I find that I used to think social media was a if I consistently contribute to social media, I will see a giant burst in in more subscribers, more sales, et cetera. And that's never happened for me. But I will say that I've gone back to contributing, contributing to social media almost every day, but I'm not doing it with the expectation that this is going to blow up. I'm doing this with the expectation that the people who are following me Getting to see me regularly is going to make them uh, uh, know, like, and trust me better for the future purposes of maybe uh, getting them to join one of our free things, one of our paid things, et cetera. And so I think social media is a way to keep up with existing people. I don't think you are necessarily likely to build a huge following in the last year. Some people have proven me wrong with TikTok, but it is not easy 
to get a big following on TikTok. And I have also talked to people who got tens of thousands of dollars of book sales from their TikToks who are now feeling I have to keep doing this or the rug's going to get pulled out and I don't enjoy it anymore. And mm. so it is a it is a challenge, but I would say that if you don't like social media, don't force yourself into a thing where you have to do social media. If you do like social media, you like posting and you can control yourself from addictedly getting sucked into the platform every time you log in, then you will be able to make it work as a way to keep connecting with existing readers, maybe adding a few here and there, but mostly it's going to be connecting with the existing people. So let's get real practical here. So where do I go if I'm a newbie where I can set up my first Amazon app? Where do I go? I recommend everyone go through our free thing. We do our quarterly free uh, five-day author ad profit challenge. I've actually, from these events, I've been invited to be a part of the Amazon ads educators. So I actually got to visit Seattle last month. They had me at a seat at the table in meetings and everything. So this challenge, which has also been shared by the Kindle Direct Publishing newsletter, Amazon ad newsletter. Obviously, they're like, okay, Brian's stuff is okay, or, or they wouldn't share it. The challenge, we walk you through it from day zero. And so we have that four times a year. That's authorsadvertise.com. Really, really recommend it rather than necessarily starting on your own because it's scary. It's scary. It, it, you're putting money out there. There is a chance Amazon will be taking some of your money after you create these things. And so it's really helpful to have the, the hand-holding. If you say, Brian, I defy you, you can just go to advertising.amazon.com and you can set up your first campaign. But I recommend bid 39 cents or below. I recommend having a daily budget of $5 or less so that if something goes wrong, you are limited by how much Amazon is going to spend. But I really do think that the prerequisite here is get a better understanding of your genre. Because if you don't know your book, if you don't know the books that are in it, you could really not get a lot of traction with these ads. So one of the last questions I think is around One's real practical. So, you know, I've got a fly fishing book, the Fly Fisher's Book of Lists, Life is Short, Catch More Fish, and I want to promote it. What should I expect? Should I expect uh, I'm going to spend $5 a day for 30 days? That's what, $150? Should I expect, and I know this is an unanswerable question again. So give me a range. So out of $150, should I expect two books sold? And in that answer, is there a momentum thing? Like you spend money over time and then you start to see more sales. Do you have to spend like a hundred bucks as kind of your seed cost? And then you'll start to see more of a return for every dollar after that. So I'm glad you brought this up. Expectations. So we all go into this expecting we are going to be author A. Author A has a book 
You just run ads to it and it's making profit. You put in a dollar, you get $2 back or, or maybe even more than that. Author A is what we all want to be. It's what we all expect to be when we're running ads. Unfortunately, we're not all author A because there is also author B. Author B, they've got a good book. It's set up right for the genre, but the marketing is off. The cover, the book description, the title, the reviews, something is not sitting right with people when they're coming in and looking at that book. And so author B could run $100 of ads and they'll probably run at a loss because author B needs to make a tweak. Now, you don't know if you're author A or author B right off the bat. And so you need to run some ads, not necessarily as seed cost, but almost as an experiment. What? How many sales did I get based on the number of clicks that I received? Did I get 10 sales on 100 clicks? Well, then that's like, okay, every 10 clicks, I get a sale. That's not too bad. Was it every 40 clicks that you get a sale? Oh, well, that's not as good. I almost never rely completely on the Amazon ad dashboard for this data. If the ad dashboard says you got 100 clicks and you got five sales, I say, well, let me look into that. I go to the KDP dashboard, Kindle Direct Publishing dashboard, and see, oh, actually, you sold 20. And I say, great, 100 clicks, I sold 20. I'm going to assume all of them came from the ad because that works a lot better than saying, oh, some of them maybe did. I think my cousin Frida bought one of them. It's too much to keep track of. Just say, all right, what did KDP say I sold? Now, author A is one, profitable right away. Author B might need to run the ads, see where they ended up and say, okay, I need to make some tweaks. And then they become author A because now it's profitable. There's also author C. Most of us are author C. Who's author C? Author C is someone who wrote a book, didn't necessarily write it with the marketing in mind, didn't think about what genre they're going to, didn't think about the tropes. And no matter how much lipstick you put on it, it's not tweakable to the point that it can be profitable. And so author C eventually is someone who might have to pivot to another genre. I'm a big fan of Derek Sivers wrote the book, uh, Everything You Want, great business book about the, the company CD Baby. And he said, if it's not a hit, pivot. And author C, it's not a hit. So by Derek Sivers quote, you pivot into learning more about marketing, learning more about genres, big getting better as a writer. Not every book is going to be able to profit. So with the fly fishing book, I would say you run ads to it. Doesn't even need to be 100, 150 bucks. You run it until you get to about 100 clicks. Nice round number. And then you go over and on KDP and say, all right, well, how many copies did I sell? And that is going to help you determine, am I author A with the fly fishing book? Am I author B and I need a new cover? Am I author C where I need to look deeper into fly fishing, learn more about what the fly fishing books people are buying are, write more of a book that, that is sellable, and then see how that does. So you're either A, B, or C. We all want to be A. Chances are you're B or C, and that's okay, because I know six-figure authors who make six figures a year. I know some author A's. I know some people who were author B's. 
And I know some people who were author C's. They all succeeded and eventually became author A. It took time. It took patience. It took perseverance, but they got there. That's a wonderfully positive note to end on. And I I thank you for just the way that you've encouraged so many writers today and have been so generous with your insight. We really appreciate you, Brian. And we hope that people sign up for for your your challenge, your profit challenge. Thank you. Why don't you give that one more time? What's your, uh, what's the URL? Absolutely. It's authorsadvertise.com. We've got one in January, April, definitely October. We might do something a little bit different in July. We're trying to think about it, but that is a way to get free videos on the instructional side and a lot of wonderful free support to hold your hand because, hey, we've been there ourselves. We know a little handholding is needed. And so that's at authorsadvertise.com. Thank you so much for your time today. You're so welcome. Thanks, you guys, for having me. All right, Dave, what a great interview that was. Let's now turn to our words of the episode. How about you go first this week? All right, so my word is obdurate, obdurate, and it means it's it's a stubbornness to refuse to change your opinion or your course of action. So it can be a stubbornness or a stubborn persistence in wrongdoing. So here would be an example. I argued with my son that he should not quit his job, but he was obdurate. So how about you, Melissa? What's your word of the episode? My word of the episode is ineffable. Ineffable, I-N-E-F-F-A-B-L-E. And it means too great or extreme to be expressed or described in words or impossible to describe in words. And I picked this word because on Christmas Eve, my family and my friends who I was eating Christmas Eve dinner with, we were talking about words as we often do. And we started to list all these words that begin with I-N, like inexorable, which means impossible to prevent or stop, inimitable, impossible to copy, inviolable, impossible to break. And so we just started rattling these off. And I really didn't know exactly what each of them meant. They all kind of sound the same. So we looked them up. And then we went to the church service, the Christmas Eve service, and the message the preacher delivered, he described the the host of angels as being ineffable, which I thought was wonderful. And I looked over at my friend and my family and started to chuckle because it was one of the IN words that we missed in our discussion at dinner. So ineffable impossible to describe in words. Is it wonder? It's so wonderful that you, there's no words to to really describe it, or is it mystical? Or I think it's the first notion that you had. Like, it's almost, maybe it's a combination. Like, it's too big, too awesome, too yeah. maybe mystical also to, to describe that it's maybe otherworldly. I don't know, maybe there's an ineffable emotion, something too big that you can't really put words around. Sometimes we have those emotions, right? Like it's, yeah. it's, it's ineffable. I don't know how to describe it. All right, Dave, on that note, those two wonderful words, that note, I'm going to ask you if there's anything that our podcast listeners can be on the lookout for. So we do this regularly, but in several weeks, we will open up enrollment for our cohort writing group. So we call them cohort writing intensives. And so for six weeks, you meet with two professional coaches 
who help you accomplish a specific goal. So some people want to complete a book, a book proposal that they'll send to an agent. Some people want to actually start the process to self-publish their book, and they need all the help to do that. Some people want to complete a chapter. Some need a developmental edit. And this is an intense process. We provide great feedback. And uh, you're with a group up to six people. And we'd love for you to, to join when we reach out with some more information on that. So be on a lookout for that. Sign up for our tipster on our homepage and you can be in communication with us through that weekly email. All right, Dave, I think that that's a wrap. It is a wrap. It is a wrap. I am Melissa Parks. And I'm Dave Getz. Now buckle up and write. 